and ask for God's favor. Lord, I love you, and my heart is encouraged just to see these people that walk with me in this calling that we have to follow your son Jesus and be like him and say the things he would say and do the things that he would do. Lord, we need you. Holy Spirit, breathe life into all of us. Uh, We need you. Thank you for everybody that's online, and I ask that you stir their spirits too. Lord, there's a lot here in the story. We need your help. Uh, Thank you that your word's alive, and it's going to accomplish its good purpose in us. So, So I give you this time. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's dig in on this story. We're going to see the story from three perspectives, from Matthew's perspective, Paul's, and then the writer of Hebrews. And this is what the text says. Uh, I'm sorry, I want to I want to illustrate this first. Okay, on your left, what color is the dress? You've seen this before? Red. Red. Thank you very much. On the right? Blue. 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 Right, perspective, right? Thank you. I forgot to do this. I meant, I meant to tell this story. This exciting story. So on the 18th, my daughter Rebecca had a birthday. She's 27, and she looks great. Um, So we did a party last night at our house, okay? And this is the letter that Caroline wrote and transcribed from Phoebe Speak and Isaiah Speak. And this is what it says. Mommy, I love you so much. Love, Caroline. I love you. I love you more than you love me. Love, Isaiah. (laughs) I love you so much. Love, Phoebe. All right, so you know how there's these moments that are so pure they're not orchestrated. They're not forced. They're not like live TV, the reality TV. It's where it's all scripted. It's supposed to be live, but it's all scripted. You know, that fake thing. This was a pure moment. Rebecca was sitting on the floor. We were opening a few gifts kind of thing. And Isaiah Ann was sitting right next to, to mom. And they, they were reading the card to her, you know. And Rebecca gets this this look it's like his face is lit up with all the love and the appreciation that he could possibly have for mommy and he goes i love you more than you love me and rebecca and it's just so pure it's just this hallmark moment rebecca goes you know what that's not true (laughs) i actually love you more than you love me and i said his brain is going 90 miles an hour like how do i counter that and he goes I love you more. It was just absolutely beautiful. And perspectives are, are uh, critical in our lives and how we see things. So, all right, now jumping in the text. Here we go, Genesis 25, starting at verse 24. Now, when her days leading to the delivery were at an end, behold, there were twins in her womb. Now, the first came out red, Esau in Hebrew, all over like a hairy garment, and they named him Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding onto Esau's heel. So he was named the cheater, Jacob. And Isaac was 60 years old when she gave birth to them. When the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the field. But Jacob was a civilized man living in tents. Now Isaac loved Esau. Because he had a taste for game. But Rebekah loved Jacob. When Jacob had cooked some stew one day, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, please let me have a mouthful of that red stuff there, for I'm exhausted. Therefore, he was called Edom. 
But Jacob said, first, sell me your birthright. Esau said, look, I'm about to die. So of what use then is the birthright to me? And Jacob said, first swear to me. So he swore an oath to him and sold his birthright to Jacob, the cheater. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and got up and went on his way. So Esau, bazaar, despised, hated, was in a angry, fueled, hateful spirit toward his birthright. He was angry and hateful toward his birthright. Sometimes we get really hateful and really angry over what we can't have. Wow. Wow, absolutely. Okay. All right, let's look at this in three perspectives. Ready? Number one, I want to talk about temptation. This is, this is how Satan can lead in destroying us. Satan takes advantage of us when we are physically and mentally exhausted. Fair enough. Boy, we get weak. We're exhausted. We haven't slept enough, etc. Um, man, he can take advantage of us. He takes advantage of us when we're afraid, when we're angry or hangry, by the way. I was out at Matt and Laura McCormick's house, and they had this little sticker magnet on their fridge, and it says, I'm sorry for what I said to you when I was hungry. I thought that was cute. Satan takes advantage of us by creating doubt in God's word. We doubt God's word, and he tells us lies. Satan takes advantage of us when we're alone, when we're alone. You know, there, there, are, there are a lot of people that struggle with the issue of temptation when they're alone. And you might not click on that search if you're in a public place. But when you're alone and you think nobody's watching. And boy, Satan can really take advantage of you at that point. Satan takes advantage of us when we feel abused and we feel abandoned. Or when we're full of pride, when we're, we're in a state of weakness, mentally, emotional weakness. Or when we're bitter. We just get sour on the inside. And he knows how to corrupt the good things. If you notice that, he takes good things and corrupts them. There's a lot of scripture there in the bottom. I want you to maybe get a screenshot or something, or I'll try to include this on our, on our website this afternoon. But temptation's a powerful thing. Jesus spent 40 days as a kind of test case, as a kind of proving ground that he wasn't going to give in. Not at all. There's something for us to learn in, in that instance, okay? All right, let's look at what Matthew says, three perspectives. Matthew commenting about the birth of Jacob and Esau, and he's doing a genealogy, and he just says, hey, Abraham fathered Isaac, Isaac fathered Jacob, and Jacob fathered Judah and his brothers. That's it. No mention of Esau. No mention of a scandal, of deception, and how... Jacob took advantage, nothing, nothing at all. Why? That is because Matthew is trying to say God is being very intentional about a bloodline of setting up a lineage that's going to bring to us the Messiah. And it's going to be coming through a bloodline of people of the, of the promise of faith and not of law. So Matthew skips over the Esau mess and just says, Isaac fathered Jacob. It's real simple. 
the perspective of Matthew. Here's the perspective of Paul. This is Romans 9. But it is not as though the word of God has failed, for they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel, nor are they all children because they are Abraham's descendants. But through Isaac, your descendants shall be named. That is, it is not the children of the flesh who are of, of children of God, but the children of the promise who are regarded as descendants. For this is the word of promise. At this time, I will come and Sarah will have a son. And not only that, for there's also Rebecca. When she had conceived twins by one man, our father Isaac, for, through the, for though the twins were not yet born and had not done anything good or bad so that God's purpose according to his choice would stand, not because of works, but because of him who calls. It was said to her, the older will serve the younger. Just as it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. Do you know God can't help but know and judge the future? Do you know that? He can't help but know and judge the future at all. This is the perspective of Hebrews 12. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that there be no sexually immoral or godless person like Esau, who sold his own birthright for a single meal. For you know that even afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place for repentance, though he sought it with tears. He sought for it with tears. Yes, Michael. So, as I hear this story, and I think of modern day, if this were to go to I don't think it would stand up in court. Like, you know, at first he came back, sold his birthright. Uh, there would have probably been some mental instability defense there since he was hungry. And then further on down the line, uh, Jacob, you know, tricked. Father. Yes, yes. So how does that hold up in God's eyes? You know, whereas us as humans, we wouldn't necessarily accept that. And then... The second question with that is that, well, let me let me hold off on the second question because it's it's good. It's really deep. But <laughs> just, just stick with the first one. Thank you so much, Michael. I love the question. Anybody on Facebook or the the live stream feed um, on our website, please ask a question. Get ready to own this thing with us. Um, did you notice how that we don't know who wrote Hebrews? By the way, we don't know. Did you notice how the writer describes Esau's decision as being sexually immoral, as being godless? It was a bowl of stew. He was hungry. And it is described as being a sexually immoral, godless behavior. That's interesting. You'd think it would be, boy, he was selfish. Or boy, that Esau, he was so impulsive. He needs to learn to control his appetite or something. Or, come on, man, get your bow out and go back out and, and kill a rabbit or something. You know, and Don't be a quitter. Don't be a quitter like Esau. Yeah, Linda. 
Uh, at this point, no. At this point, no. Yeah. yeah. But he becomes the, the father of the Edomites, which are wicked people. And I think that's what you're, you're getting at. Linda, yeah. Yeah. So this, Matthew goes, you know what? We're just establishing the lineage. <laughs> it's, it's Abraham, it's Isaac, it's Jacob, and right on down the line. Because we're getting to the birth of a Messiah. Paul, hey, God can't help but know and judge the future. God sees the big picture. And there's two kinds of people on planet Earth. People of the law of the flesh and people of promise. And Esau represents the flesh. He represents the law. But Jacob, he represents faith. And you go, faith, he's a cheat. He's a deceiver. He's a liar. He took advantage of of people. Yes. But he also had faith. And he was willing to wrestle with God. I think it uh, it was Deanna last Sunday who said, you know, it's amazing how God uses broken, messed up people. Yes. <laughs> One is standing in front of you right now. <laughs> yes. And there are a bunch of them sitting in front of me right now. We are all Jacobs. How many of you have been deceitful? Don't raise your hand. You've been deceitful and cheated and taken advantage. Come on. We're all there. We're all there. I think it's really fascinating that his behavior is described year, I mean, decades and decades after the event, that he was sexually immoral and godless. Yes, Linda. Yeah. They needed what? That they needed yeah. Yeah, Linda, thank you. You're bringing insight. And um, let me develop an idea that's critical. Um, uh, thanks to our, our political culture, how many times have you, you know, seen or heard a politician say, you know, well, we really need borders. We really need to secure our border and, and seal it off because if you want to come to America, you need to come in legally. And, yeah, yeah, her, her. and then the same person a year later, 10 years later or something says like, well, we, no, no, we need to open our borders. And it's like, which one is it? You know, you get double speak and then you interview the, the politician and they say, I misremembered. Or something. It's like, it's like we can say anything and we're not responsible for what we say. Right? You get my point. You can say anything and you can backpedal. You can circle back. You can do all kinds of stuff and misremember and it's not a big deal. Can you imagine if, if what Michael is mentioning and Linda, that if we realize that what we say really matters, it matters in the eyes of God. Matters to people. And what if, we, what if we believe that what we say has lasting impact, especially when we speak in the name of God? 
so that when, when Isaac blesses, he's thinking he's blessing his firstborn. But he ends up blessing the secondborn. That that blessing that was spoken was so powerful, you couldn't take it back. Wow. You couldn't take it back. It had that much power, that much authority. What if we took our words seriously? So that was actually the second question, really. Uh-huh. was to kind of dive into that. And <laughs> the difference between what we saw back then where those words were really, I don't want to say that they themselves were powerful, but God treated it that way. Versus yes. Now where yes. People yes. Just spout their mouths off, and it doesn't really seem like God right. keeps us. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Yeah. You know, Michael, Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount he said, about this idea of swearing and making an oath and a vow. And Jesus said, I'm telling you, don't you do that. Don't go there. Don't go to the place of vowing and making oaths. Don't do it. He said, What? Your yes should be yes and your no should be no. Because if you have to go beyond that, what happens? It becomes evil. It always leads to evil. When you've got to raise your hand and start making vows and promises, it always leads to evil. Just let your yes be yes and your no be no. It's a big deal, Michael. Um, from a counseling perspective, what we say to our children matters. Okay? It really does. If you tell your kid, <laughs> you're an accident, just wanting you to know you were a slip up and you've been a bother ever since. Would you please give me a break, please? When you communicate the, to the, your child, those go deep. They, they, they go to seed in the heart. But when you tell a child, did you know we prayed for you for the longest time. We wanted you. Oh, you were so wanted. Do you know that if God would let me go to heaven and I got to pick out a kid and God showed me all the kids and there they were, skinny ones, tall ones, curly-haired, red-haired blonde, and I got to pick the, my, my child and Jesus said, which one do you want? And I said, I don't know. Would you pick one for me? And he pointed to this one and there she was. Oh, and she was so cute and shy. And I said, Jesus, is she the one for me? And he goes, yes. And then I say, you are the one he chose. You're my Rebecca. You're my Andrea. You're my, my Catherine, otherwise known as Sati by the grandkids. You know. And all of a sudden, something beautiful happens in Rebecca's heart, or Catherine's heart. And what we say really matters. Okay, let's dig in this way. The way of Jacob versus the way of Esau. The birth process. Hey, God's will be done or our will be done. Um, You got a bowl of red stew. You've got an opportunity to maintain a birthright. You got you got a decision the way of the birthright or the way of the immediate gratification of the stew. Is it God's will be done or is it our will be done? That's what the template is. So here's something pretty heavy duty. You ready? When you and I let our bodies become more important than the will of God, that becomes an immoral, godless thing. When your body 
is considered more important than the will of God, that is considered an immoral, godless thing. That's the description. Matthew 12, or Matthew 1, 2. God uses broken people in the line of faith, the lineage. It's amazing. Romans 9, God knows and judges the future. Hebrews 12, considering our body more important than God's will. Really, really dangerous stuff. Really dangerous stuff. For you know that even afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected because there was no room in his heart. There was no room in his heart for repentance, though he sought it with tears. Um, if, I could, if I could share this, um, there's a difference between repentance and regret. There's a big difference between repentance and regret. We can regret a bad decision. We can regret a bad relationship and all kinds of things that we do that are, that, are, that are wrong and outside the will of God. Repentance is when there is a, a kind of brokenness that goes so deep that in keeping with what the word means that there's literally a U-turn and you're now going in the way of the will of God. Uh, it's, it's, it's not... It's not a regret thing where you're going to go, God, man, I'm so upset. I'm going to cry about it. But then there's no life change whatsoever. Rebecca? Yeah, yeah. He found no place for repentance. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. Okay, now you're the church. Own this thing. You're the body of Christ. This great story of Jacob and Esau. How do we pull this into our world today? It's an issue of God's will be done or our will be done. It's an issue of God using broken people who have faith, even though they walk with a limp. God can't help but know and judge the future. And we can't let our bodies be the thing that's more important than God's will. happen again and that will happen again but knowing that God's will is not going to be thwarted by decisions that we make 
God is still on his throne. Yeah. God is still constant. And at the end of this, God wins. Hmm. So the big story of what God is going to be doing and what he is doing and has been doing is never going to change. Hmm. As Christians, we believe that. And that invitation into his story, that invitation into what he's doing, I think should be, should be, isn't always the motivation for tying ourselves into that. How can we be a part of it? Because oftentimes we get to the flesh side of things. We revert back to the old way of who we were before we were in Christ, and we hesitate to say, well, who am, who am I now? Well, I am this, I was that, now I am this. I have been transformed. Yeah. And I think recognizing that God's will, God's path, God's story will not change as a result of our decisions. Hmm. We get benefit from being part of that, I think, is where the encouragement comes from me. Yeah. So it motivates yeah. me to say, I love you, God, and I want to be a part of what you're doing, even if it goes against what my flesh wants. Yeah. I recognize yeah. that I will. Yeah, that's, that's so good. It's grace, isn't it? Yeah. So I remember when I when it first kind of hit my brain and I realized that my sin is not so big that it destroys the will of God. Uh, and, and somebody told me, sorry, Chris, you're not that powerful. <laughs> I'm like, oh, man, it kind, of, it kind of changes things when you realize that you quoted Isaiah 55 and Isaiah 40 as well. Yeah, God's word accomplishes its purpose. Nothing gets it off track. Nothing. God has that kind of authority. And some little old guy on planet Earth named Patch or Chris, it's not so powerful that we can deconstruct the kingdom of God. Not going to happen. Not going to happen. God's grace is greater than our sin. And that's beautiful. Someone else, why does this matter? How do we live it out? What difference does this make in our lives? Michael. Uh, apparently, I just want to talk to you. Uh, the, the last point, considering your body is more important than God's will, and, and specifically the difference between uh, repentance and regret, like you were talking about in that verse. And, and I thought the wording was really interesting as well, where it says he found no place for repentance. And so I've just been kind of dwelling on that for the last few minutes. And then I really just realized the difference between regret and repentance is, is kind of just a difference of one degree between selfishness and not selfishness. Regret says, what have I done? But repentance says, what have I done towards God or towards other people? That's all I got. Thank you, Michael. That's good. Someone else. Why does this matter? Stephen? Yeah, Kathy Fuller online says, Esau treated his inheritance as disposable, while Jacob valued it. I think we should ask ourselves if we're doing the same thing, discarding or devaluing things that are important to God. Yeah, that's so insightful, Kathy. Thank you so much. Jesus said, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, not on earth. In Hebrew culture, what's the significance of the inheritance? Do you know Edie Lee? The firstborn son gets what? Double portion. Double portion. Yeah. Very elite. It's an, it's an honor-shame culture, so they're giving highest honor to the firstborn son. So for him to discard that, yeah, big deal. Lee? Esau justified his decision because what is my birthright going to do me if I die? Yeah. So he was tired, hungry, thought he might die. 
And we need to be real careful to let our feelings guide our decision making. Yeah. You know, we can we can really mess up when we do that. Yeah. Not for that. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Lee. Lot, you know, nobody will know. Or, yeah. You know, it's okay yeah. this time. Yeah. By the way, um, and, and you guys are so smart, um, I know you know this, but when you get at that point when you're so tired and you're weak and it's either the bowl of red soup or honor my, my potential inheritance, those decisions there, what's, what do you do when you're at that place? What do you do? You Keep, what's that? You have to have faith. Got to have faith. Keep going. Add more. There's more. Call somebody. Call a brother. Call a sister and say, I'm, I'm, I'm on the threshold of choosing the red soup. What do I do? Or the stew? You know, come on, help me out. And it's going to be that brother, that sister, your father, your mother, the, your, the people who are pushing you in Christ are going to say, hey, I'm going to be right over. I'll, I'll bring you some free food from Taco Bell. We're going to pray through this. You're going to make it, okay? Uh, don't compromise. Don't compromise. So... Yeah. Yes. Um, and you get an example of that, Jesus in the wilderness. Uh-huh. The great tempter, the great deceiver, appeals to all the different things of darkness. Yeah. And Jesus brings in light immediately. Yeah. Truth. And what is the light? Uh, well, how did Jesus fight back? With, word, with, with scripture. Father, yeah. yeah, words of the Father. Um, yeah. And so, remove yourself from the situation or yeah. um, breathe truth in because I think that's the thing that makes me sad about Esau is he didn't realize how valuable his birthright was <clears throat> and do we know our birthright in our inheritance in the kingdom of God if you don't know it I hope you do and trade the things of darkness for light <clears throat> and <clears throat> you don't have to throw it away like Esau did <clears throat> yeah, that's so good Philip so good I guess you all realize that if you're tired enough weary enough hungry enough Desperate enough, you can justify just about anything, right? <laughs> you sure can. We're capable of that stuff, Joe. This has uh, always been one of the stories and scripture that I've had to wrestle with a lot, uh, particularly Paul's day. Um, because it seems as though God's being arbitrary. And Paul even enters into a dialogue where someone will say to me, Well, that's not fair, I'm irresistible to God. He's just going to. The end result here is it's not the sin that mattered, it was the heart. Both of them sinned. Esau in selling his birthright and Jacob in deceiving his brother and further again deceiving his father later on down the line by pretending to be Esau like your own fur. And, yeah, it's me, Esau. Go ahead and bless me. Double deception. And you look at that and you go, wait a minute. <laughs> Jacob's just as sorry a character as Esau is here. What's different? Is God just arbitrary? Is he just up there picking who he likes and who he doesn't like? Paul even says God will have compassion who he has compassion on and mercy who he has mercy on. 
Do we choose to believe that God is arbitrary? And if so, well, the theoretical argument that I can't resist the will of God is true. Or do we choose to look at this a little bit? And that's what, you know, in wrestling with this, I've had to go back to how did Christ interact with people? Jesus interacted with all kinds of sinners. Prostitutes, tax collectors, teachers of law, Pharisees, all sinful people. The difference being one set of them thought they were sinful and one set did not. So it wasn't the sin, per se, but the heart. And while he still called out the sin and said, go and sin no more, one, he had great compassion on. One, he very, very tough on. And the difference was the heart. When we understand we're broken and sinful and we want the will of God, we seek God instead of, as Esau clearly did not have a change of heart. Even though God did bless him, he had a pretty, a pretty big nation named after him in the end. But when your heart is seeking God, as David's did, even David sinned, and he was still a man after God's heart. That's the difference with God, it seems. That while the sins on the surface, and we look at it, may look like both are equally guilty, and it seems like God's being arbitrary, God can look into things we can't see and judge righteously. So, you know, from my perspective, what does this teach us to be? It teaches us to be merciful towards others, and it teaches us to remember our sin makes us guilty, but we are still God's because we were chosen. And it keeps your heart humble. Mm, Joe, thank you so much. First Samuel chapter 16, the prophet Samuel was told by the Spirit to go and find the next king of Israel. And he goes to Jesse and, and checks out his sons. And Jesse, in good Hebrew fashion, brings the oldest in this honor-shame scale, the oldest. Nope, that's not the guy. The next one down. Nope, nope, nope. Right on down to the last kid. And, and Samuel says, do you have any more sons? And he says, well, I got this young little brat out tending the goats right now. And Sam says, get him here. And of course, this is the man, I mean, uh, the young David to be king. In that text, when he's about to face Goliath, God says to Samuel, when you look at these men, don't look at the one who is tall and good looking. I want you to pay attention to the heart because Joet says, God does not see as man sees. Man sees the outward appearance, but God sees the heart. Absolutely. Luke 16, verse 15, Jesus speaking against the Pharisees who were, quote-unquote, lovers of money. That which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God. What matters to us on the outside is detestable in the sight of God. What matters to God on the inside is what is sacred and beautiful. Can you imagine Mary's story? Multiple layers of demon possession, the insanity, the war between her ears. And then finally, having all those demons exercised and being saved and healed by Jesus Christ. Going from the crazy woman, the crazy, rejected, evil, unclean woman, to a woman that can can function fully now in society and, and become a beautiful woman of God. This is grace. Joe, it isn't about the sinless. You know, can we be sinless? Because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 5, the law came, came in so that the offense would increase. In other words, sin exposes us as being offensive to God. 
But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Joe, God's grace was greater than the cheating tendencies of Jacob. So that as sin reigned in death, so also grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. For when you were slaves of sin, you were addicted to your version of what red stew is. When you were slaves of sin, you were free in relation to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? Why does the dog go back to the vomit? For the outcome of those things is death. But now having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification, being made holy and the outcome eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gracious gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the son into the world to judge the world, but so that the world might be saved through him. The one who believes in him is not judged The one who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed, she has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So how about you? How about me? In in the privacy of, of your own heart. Joe is right. God looks at the heart. In the privacy of your heart. Do you have an Esau heart? The most important thing is your version of red stew. Or do you have a broken Jacob's heart? Faith with a limp. Do you believe? Or is your relationship to Jesus something at a distance? Um, I, I... Something Satan wants you to do, wants me to do, is to get in a mindset of regret so that you can grind and grind and and just fixate on your mistakes. Because if he can keep you there, you're whipped. You're beaten. You live in this, this mindset of shame and regret. God, through his spirit, wants you to, to go to repentance because it's in repentance that you're restored. And he wants you to live the life of Christ in you like a river of life springing out of your soul. Satan wants you to fixate in regret and shame. Jesus wants you to know repentance and full restoration so that you can become like Mary or you can become like Peter. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Yeah. I want us to do something. Let's just let's bow our heads. Let's pray. Those online, do the same thing. Please bow your head. Close your eyes. Can we get clean inside? Can we, can we say no more to the red stew? <laughs> can we get clean and repent and literally pour our hearts out to him and ask forgiveness, get clean?
Abba Father, help us to be the broken people of faith. We give you our hearts. We, we lay it all at your feet. And we say, Father, forgive. Father, cleanse, make holy, renew, restore. Thank you that grace is greater than our sin. Thank you that we are freed from the chains and the shackles of what is wicked and evil in your sight. Thank you that you have cast away the demonic spirits and all that is evil that seeks to destroy us and you set us free. And we can follow you and walk out the love and the grace and the truth that you give us. Thank you. Abba Father, we love you. And we say thank you. Lord, we're going to sing and I pray that it's kind of like Rebecca and, and Isaiah. It's just going to be this pure moment of trying to say that we love you most. Would you give us that great gift right now in your spirit, please? In Jesus' name, amen.